Welcome to the Geneva Peace Week podcast series, a project of the Geneva Peacebuilding Platform. Geneva Peace Week is a leading annual forum in the international peacebuilding calendar. It's a week of events, workshops, videos, and podcasts just like this one, hosted by different organizations and actors around the world. Founded on the core belief that each person, actor, and institution has a role to play in building peace and resolving conflict. You're listening to a podcast produced for Geneva Peace Week 2020, held from the 2nd to the 6th of November with both live events and pre-recorded contributions. For more content like this, join the conversation at genevapeaceweek.ch. Hi, I'm Nienke van Bezooy from the Netherlands, and I will bring a podcast for the Geneva Peace Week because I was drawn into the subject of this year, the topic, saying the rebuilding trust after disruption, the pathway to reset international cooperation is near and dear to my heart. My theme, what I'm really passionate about is listening, listening to peace. In my professional life, I'm an international speaker coach. I work with uh, thought leaders and change makers. And one of my stands is just to provide the world with a voice. And I can add upon that, being a voice for peace. So that's why I'm here and that's why I'm bringing you this podcast. I'm one of the leaders within the Global Institute for Evolving Women, GFU, to shorten the whole thing up. And um, I wanted to bring first a workshop, what I turned into a podcast, saying the key for rebalancing after disruption start with listening. I've been working in the field of peace for a couple of years now, and I'm an initiator for the Global Impact Platform on Peace and Consciousness within the Global Institute for Evolving Women. I've been collaborating closely with an awesome woman called Silla Elwerdi, who was three times nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. She wrote a book, Business Plan for Peace. I've been in her year program and we collaborate closely together. And the good thing of not having a live workshop in Geneva, but being able to create a podcast is to bring more speakers on and bring them on. So. I bring on into this podcast two great women uh, who really can make a difference in practical solutions in listening as a contribution for peace. The first one I will bring on is Qatar El Lawi, um, based from Morocco, but also uh, being in India and now living in Canada. And the second one is Silla Alwardi, who was more than happy to collaborate with me. What I do in this podcast is bringing listening into three areas, three ecologies. So as, as my dear friend Sandra Epstein from Brazil, from the Aromata comp- company is saying. Three ecologies. And the three colleges based on how the diversity of the nature in the Brazilian Atlantic rainforest is built. It's a very poor soil, but the highest diversity above that in, in nature and how plants are growing. Collaborating with one another. And I think that's the key, how we can collaborate 
the cooperation together and contribution to peace. So the three ecologies, just to name them very shortly, is the first ecology is who are you with yourself? Who are you listening to yourself? Because you have to know yourself because you can hear others. The second ecology is who are you in listening with others? How are you influenced? Um, and um, if you know that and you have a good conversation and communication with others, then you can go to the third ecology. So who are you with the world? So if you have a big mission like creating peace, it's very good to listen to the signals. And that's what all the Geneva Peace Conference is about, having all these different topics, how you can really listen to what's going on and how you can contribute in very practical ways. Qatar Alawi will cover how you can listen to yourself. I will cover how you can listen to others and Silla Awardi will can cover how you can listen to the world. I really hope you enjoy the podcast and as much as we had in creating it for you. We will create also um, a document where the whole podcast will be transcripted will be transcripted and um, translated in as many languages as possible. So you can use it in your own language as well. Thank you for being with us and um, have fun in listening. First with me, covering listening to self all coming together in the key for rebalancing after disruption starts with listening is Qatar El Lawi, living in Canada, um, founder and CEO of Conscious Togetherness. She's creator of holistic leadership programs, co-leader of the impact platform on peace and consciousness within the Global Institute for Evolving Women. She has the amazing background of being a lawyer, uh, intercultural mediator, uh, conscious leadership coach, coach, trainer. So she is really trained and skilled in how to deal with conflict, inner conflict, outer conflict, and being together with it. So please enjoy listening to Qatar. Thank you, Nienka. So beautiful to be here with you. And it's a really important and exciting topic we have today. Yes, I would like to dive in straight away with you because for me, you are a real expert in the period in my life when I was really struggling how I had to deal with the real me. Uh, you coached me through and I know you have been working with the True Purpose Institute. You've been working globally in, in India and in Canada, everywhere. Um, but you helped me tremendously, and that's why I picked you to cover this topic. And um, if we look in the relationship we have with ourselves, recording to peace, and we see the key to rebuilding trust in the field of peace after disruption is listening. I was very convinced listening to self is the first step to take. So how, what is your perspective around this? Yeah. Well, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I think the way you describe it and from experience is absolutely correct. Listening to self, we have this tendency, as we know, uh, to think that everything happens outside of ourselves uh, and that events happen to us 
uh, and conflicts happen to us. Uh, but what I've come to find through my own life and in my coaching practice is that we're actually the source of it all. <laughs> That's an interesting thing. Is that part of just developing our own truth as being the only truth that's counted at a certain point? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are programmed to find what's right and what's wrong and to diagnose problems from the mind. Um, and when we shift that paradigm to starting to see that what we believe to be true and what we feel is only one perspective rather than the only perspective, um, it really reconnects us with ourselves and it puts the power back in our hands to shift outcomes in a very, very powerful hmm. way. That's, that's an interesting one because um, what I see a lot, uh, particularly in, in peace building and listening to one another, is, is um, the opinions of others are a big influence. So it, it requires really some certain steps to get to listen to ourselves. And when I look into my own life, um, and, and even also the books around what I wrote about it, it's we are so influenced by our our parents, our teachers, uh, you know, our spouses, even in a later life. Um, what creates a truth? Um, how do you filter that? What's yours and what's others? Yeah, well, I would say that takes time and practice. Mm -hmm. It really, I thought so. Absolutely, it really does. And the first step is to recognize that there is this blending of opinions uh, that I have between me and the outside world. Uh, because we usually don't even recognize that. We just take it as truth. Um, and so... It usually happens when we have an event that shakes us in life. Uh, and what we used to believe was true didn't work anymore. And usually those triggers can be an illness. They can be what we perceive as a failure. Um, something that really shakes us internally. I like that you say trigger because I think our audience might recognize being triggered by something. And a trigger, I know... Um, triggers a emotional response what influencing it's influencing our thinking our thoughts so triggers is an important one just to to make shift happen isn't it yes absolutely yes um it triggers and especially because every action we take in life is to meet a need and so when our needs are unmet is when we have a strong emotion And that's what actually brings us back within when we realize that I'm feeling a strong emotional response because I have an unmet need, not because someone did something or I need something to change outside of myself. That's an interesting one. If we look at the nonviolent communication, for example, that's also exactly where yeah. it's, it really makes a difference to um, what's really going on in an emotion and what's a trigger around it and what's a true emotion, what's from you and how do you respond in just putting it to someone else. So great. So go on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I also love what you said. How do you respond? Because that's what this is all about. It's about shifting from a reaction to response, right? Yeah. Um, and I know you asked me, like, how do we do it? Um, I think the first step to actually create the shift 
is to start by becoming aware of what's happening inside of ourselves um, and strengthening what we call our inner witness. And there are many ways to do that. One of them could be meditation. Um, and I, I like to think of meditation as very simple. It doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be difficult. It's really just finding a practice that allows us to start to connect with our um, physical sensations, mm -hmm. with our thoughts, with our emotions, uh, without acting them out. Yeah, just I always, always called for myself becoming still um, and just, just be with me. Um, so I, I just search for a quiet place um, and it can even be at the toilet when I'm in a tense situation and something is coming up. I need my, my little moment of still yeah. and just go to the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Can be there quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I used that practice when I started to learn these tools and I would be in the triggering moment and um, I wouldn't be able to step back from the emotion. I actually used that. I would go to the bathroom for a few minutes, breathe, and really just reconnect with myself. And so, yeah, that is definitely our gateway into a different way of being. Yeah, that's opening the door to self, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay, open so and then we open the door, and then what happens? Well, usually a lot of things rush up to the surface when we start opening the door. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> because we have spent a lifetime at this point trying to shut out emotion, uh, trying to not feel it. And so we really get to know, uh, we hear the stories that we have stored within ourselves uh, about what doesn't work for us, about all the triggers that we talked about. And so that shows up really in the form of uh, when we have an event that triggers us, we feel the pain, um, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, and then we start to look at how do I, what is this pain telling me? What is the story of this pain? What is the feeling? We name, what am I feeling in this moment? Uh, what is the unmet need? And, and I can say, in our culture, it's not very common to even go to feelings, talk about feelings, be with feelings. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I always use the example um, uh, of pain. And if you look in the medical world, we have painkillers. Mm -hmm. What on earth are you killing? What are you feeling? No? Absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, this was a huge challenge uh, because, as you know, I was trained as a lawyer in the beginning of my career. And as lawyers, we are trained not to allow our feelings to show. And when I was making my career shift to coaching, that was my biggest struggle. I did everything right. I remember my, ben my mentor saying, you did everything right, but you are not present. The, the client so you did everything right but not being right in it exactly. with it exactly mm -hmm. and that was a huge breakthrough for me about the difference that the impact of not being there even if we're saying and doing the right things can have i get it i get it so the doors is all, doors are open the flood is coming in and we feel we feel we are with our feelings what is what is a way to handle that all? Yeah. Well, the, the way to handle it all is really to build the, 
the muscle to have the patience with the process and to learn really just like I said, to identify what is the feeling, what is the need is recognizing that feelings are messengers. And the idea is not to get stuck with them, but to hear what they have to tell us. Oh, I like that. Listen to your feelings, what they have to tell you. Yeah. They tell, they tell you a lot on my own experience with you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it's surprising because it's a lot that our mind can't handle. Our mind is not equipped to, to deal with that. Uh, and so you listen to the feelings, you get the messages, and from there you start to look at uh, what is actually uh, real solutions to meet the deeper need that's unmet rather than what we think we want. Can you give an example? I, I, can, I can bring up what you did with me um, uh, when I was in, in, a, in a time in my life where uh, I was ill and I couldn't do a lot. And, and there was a voice inside of me saying, well, you're not doing enough. You are lazy. Mm -hmm. So that was a sort of inner voice in me, uh, very coming on very deep, coming on very early childhood. Mm -hmm. um, is that an example what you could use? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so that voice was saying that you are lazy because what it wanted for you was to be able to be productive, to be what we call a winner in our societies, to be perceived as someone that is creating something that is meaningful for society. And so it really wanted you to have something that is positive and find uh, a positive place in the world with what you're doing. And yet, because it was stuck in the moment in time where it was formed when you were younger, it couldn't see that at this stage in your life, what you needed was rest and realignment. And those are the sort of voices or the parts of us that get activated uh, and that are stuck in time because they haven't progressed. We, we age and the parts stay stuck in the trauma that it uh, lived at whatever age we were. And so what we did with you, Nienka, if you recall, is that we had a conversation with that part of you. Yeah. And yeah, we can a real it. listening to that inner part in me. And what you did with me is just calling up upon that part and having sort of a three-way conversation instead wow. of talking to me, my rational brain. Absolutely. And so that's exactly the process, whether it's uh, in like the microcosm, like within ourselves or in the larger world, is that instead of pushing it away and saying, I don't want to hear you, we invited it to step into a conversation uh, and we allowed it to share its story. We listened to it compassionately and with real curiosity. And then we brought its concern to your mind. And from a mind space and a heart space, you were able to see it differently and you created a collaboration with that part. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So now, and I continue doing that, by the way, because the, the thing is about all these parts, um, not split personality, but it's just my old traumas, having a space and having a voice. So um, although I can say I, I'm in a good relationship now with my uh, inner parts, um, mm -hmm. I, can, I can go there quickly and, and see when they speak up to go to their needs. Yes. It's never my personal need, but it's a sort of deeper layer 
what comes up to the surface and then I, oh, I get triggered and then I need to do something. That's what you learned me to do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I've had to do myself with uh, having had to work through a lot of trauma. Uh, and essentially all it is is a strong inner conflict that the mind cannot reconcile. And so what we do is bring harmony within first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we're able to meet the world from that inner harmony, we get very different outcomes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd like to share, actually, if it's okay, just an example of a client, because I like to relate this to anger as an emotion. Because I That's think it's very helpful if we're talking about peace and, and, and conflict. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so I had this client once that when we started our session, um, he basically said to me, I don't know what's happening to me. I get into these situations in my life where I'm looking for connection with people. My intention is connection and understanding. And yet I just find myself so triggered by some statements um, that before I can do anything about it, I find myself already reacting and rejecting them and the relationship is broken. And so we really did some, the same process that we talked about together now, some deeper inner work. And what came up at first was a lot of anger. And as we kept looking into it, it was actually grief and pain. And this, this man had lost his father at a young age. And in that experience, a part of him froze and decided that this world was a harsh place to be in and that you cannot connect with people because you will lose them after. And so as much as the adult person wanted to connect, this part of them kept reacting to the world and preventing connection. And it's causing the opposite as he was desiring for, isn't it? Absolutely. It was. And even the anger itself was hurting him. And so with this exact process, what he did is he was able to start to first take a pause when the anger comes up, like recognize that it's coming up because he used to say, I don't even feel it coming. It just overtakes me. Mm -hmm. And so the first step became to start feeling it in his body when it comes up and pause, stop, like we said, and then have that conversation with himself, reassure that part of him that he is safe and it's safe to connect with people. Uh, And with time, it really changed the outcomes. He's now much more able to connect even through that triggering when it happens. So he's he's able to to take a step before and and make another outcome, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's exactly the power of this work, whether we are in a boardroom, whether in international peace negotiations or in the kitchen um, with our families. It's exactly the same process. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we want to bring within the Geneva Peace Week 2020 is have some practical tools what are not only for the top of the world of peacemaking and negotiations or but just having peace starting with us. And if I say with us or if we say with us, it means with ourselves first and recognize that we have a responsibility. And I like to break that in two. It's the ability to respond. Mm. Respond from a neutral part within ourselves. And I think if you can 
have a, a good conversation and, and you know by becoming still or meditate, you know what voices you have in your head and how to collaborate to, to met their needs and, and, and just to make another responsibility, mm-hmm. um, you, you take another responsibility on. Yeah, absolutely. And I like to look at things in a very practical way sometimes. And That's so, why you're here. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and so for me, this process, I really look at it as an investment. Uh, because okay. it is an investment in time. It is an investment, an investment in a process uh, that does bring, bring a certain amount of pain at the beginning when we're learning and practicing. Uh, and what I tell my clients usually is, what is the alternative for you? If you don't do this, what is at stake? Because your return on this investment will not only be the external outcome, it will be that the internal pain you feel will no longer be there, or you will be much better equipped to move through it. And isn't that worth it for all of us? Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I can't agree more. And if we just just look at this this process, uh, if you would sum it up, I think we have four steps. Can you just highlight them quickly? Just one, absolutely. two, four? Yeah, absolutely. So the, four, the first step would be to connect with and st- strengthen our inner witness. And that really moves us from a place of taking our beliefs, like you said, our thoughts, our emotions for absolute truth <laughs> into seeing that they are just one possibility and they are ours. They belong to us. Ownership. Absolutely. The external Good. is only the trigger. Okay. So ownership because the outside is only the trigger. Okay. I get that. Absolutely. So we notice it. The second step is we inquire into it. What am I feeling? We put a name to the feeling. And from the feeling, we look at what is the unmet need. Um, and at this step, it's really important to learn to distinguish a need from a want. Ah, good. Thank you for highlighting that. Absolutely. So again, nonviolent communication has a beautiful list of needs that can really help with this process. Um, And so from there, the third step for me becomes to zoom in on those pain points or trigger points that we have as an individual. We start to recognize the patterns, um, our patterns of triggering, our patterns of behavior as a result of that triggering. And the fourth step becomes looking for creating a different outcome. That the pain no longer owns us. Rules us. Yes. That we are now in a place where we see it as only a pain. And we are able to move past it skillfully and still create the outcome that we're truly looking for. Rather than feeling victimized by the outcome that we couldn't control. So is that also becoming very authentic with our own feelings and our own responses? Absolutely. It's becoming very authentic and also very responsible in the process. Perfect. Perfect. So how would the world look like if, if everybody listening here to the podcast of the Geneva Peace Week, how would the world look like if we were all able to cover this first ecology as I call it uh, and just 
have a good relationship with ourselves? What, what would make a shift into the world in listening? Well, my perspective is that it would just make a beautiful world where every person is just able to live in dignity and in peace. In um, every area of our lives, isn't it? From the absolutely. kitchen table to our work with our spouse to our big world mission projects. Absolutely. Um, and what I can say for sure that I have seen as a pattern with my clients and again with myself is that the more we do this, uh, the more we are able to get through things like illness and reverse them, the more we are able to connect with what's really important and stop the overconsumption. I have noticed this, that whenever people connect with their true needs and the power to shift outcomes, for some reason, our overconsumption just stops. There is a simplicity that we connect with. Um, I think it's an overconsumption in all. It's an overconsumption in thinking as well. <laughs> becomes more more quiet and more more aligned. And I know that's what you do within your company of conscious leadership as well. So uh, we'll find a link where people can find you uh, and see what what kind of work you will do. Uh, and I, I would just say to everybody, start practicing and we will provide you with some exercises, how you can get there. You have to, the beautiful steps of Qatar. And from here in our next step, we will go, how do we communicate and listen with others? And I will cover that in a bit. So thank you, Qatar. Is there anything else you want to share? A quick note still? A quote? I think, um, well, there is this quote that I love, which is, if you don't heal what hurts you, you will bleed over people who didn't cut you. Ah, lovely. We will take that quote on. Thank you so much. <laughs> and we will continue very soon. Thank you, Qatar. Thank you so much, Nienka. The second part of the key for rebalancing after disruption starts with listening. After we covered listening to self with Qatar. It's what I will do is listening with others. I'm Nink van Bezoyen and I created this whole podcast. And what's awesome about listening with others is if you know yourself, listening with others becomes easier. In my profession, I'm an international speaker coach. And I always say to the speakers I work with is speaking starts with listening. Because how does your audience sound? Do you know your audience? Do you know what you can do for them? Because speaking is never about you. It's what you can do for the other, in my perspective. So I created my own speaker method uh, called Ease. And four elements of Ease is, first, what is your energy? Then second, how can you be authentic, your authenticity? then the speaker skills, and then engagement. So in all areas, listening is key. And I want to bring this to listening for peace. How do you listen in conflict? So what Qatar already covered is if you know what are your triggers, you can bring the curiosity to listening to others and recognize their patterns and if you can recognize patterns of others, it's so much easier to be with them 
and to listen. What I always say, to listen with clean filters. And you can only have clean filters if you know yourself. Some of us are really driven in the field of building peace and having a real perspective of the world and having all the focus on what's going on in the world. But how do you listen to the signals of others? That's important here. When I work with the, my people, I always highlight a method, what I didn't develop myself, but what Bernice uh, McCarthy developed in uh, how students can learn best. And because within the Geneva Peace Week, we really aim to be very practical, I want to cover what Bernice discovered in her way, how people receive information. And I think that's an important key, how we can listen to others, because if we can recognize patterns, it's easier. So Bernice, discovered that there are four ways how people receive your information, how they digest your information. And she has four categories. So the first category is the why people, they're why wired. So you can recognize them in an audience, for example, always raising the question or having questions around, why should I listen to you? So if you can cover the topic, what you want to speak about and make it resonate for them by explaining why it is important for them, why is it important for them now? Why is it the topic just generally important? And why are you the one who can speak about the why wired people are with you? In the Western world, um, particularly in America, but also in, uh, for example, my own country, the Netherlands, the white people are a majority. Um, so if you cover the why for them, you have them on the same page with you. Then there is another group and they're more detail oriented. So you can recognize them by the questions. Yes, but what exactly? So, you have to give them figures, facts, really the detail, the nitty gritty without losing yourself in it. So what I always love in the area of peace building and women is the fact what Silla O'Worthy uh, uses a lot, what comes from a study from the United Nations is when women are involved at peace negotiations and there is really uh, a result and we have an agreement there, it lasts 15 years longer than it's when it's only created by man. Well, that's a stunning fact, isn't it? So do what exactly people? You can calm their brain by just covering facts. So we have why people, we have what people. And then we have the people who are really practical, who want to have a vision, uh, really see um, how they can do stuff. So you can recognize them by, yes, great, but how can I, or how can we do things? So 
it's always great to have practical examples, storytelling, for example, there. When I really am with, for example, students and I let them experience on the spot, that's covering the how you do stuff. In peace building, I will cover later on how to listen. So the how do I do this wired people can be calmed down. What I always see is a last group that's mostly a forgotten group. And if you are a trainer or a coach or a public speaker, or even if you have kids, this group will be getting your attention because they always raise a question early. And you can recognize them by raising the question, yes, but what if? So I call them the what ifers. They are fast thinkers and they always are future oriented. They, they get it, the why, they get the what, they don't, they don't care so much. How, that's great, okay, that's for the doers. But what if they will do something? They want to see how it can land with them. They are really structured in seeing um, a strategy. So it's great to give them a future perspective. So in this case, I can say, if you listen to this podcast, you will get hands-on tools, how you can move on in having listening integrated in your daily life at the kitchen table with your spouse and family, um, with your co-workers, but also how you can deal in conflict situations and peace-bringing conversations framed by listening first. So that's a future perspective, what I can give you in this podcast. So that's great if you know there are different types of audiences and you can come from a neutral place because you know yourself, you know your own triggers, then it's great to be aware of these four kinds of audiences. Then you will get them everywhere. Even when you have written material, it's always there. I tested it out for many, many years and it works. So even if you frame a pitch or an elevator pitch or um, a statement you want to make for a group of people and you want them with you, just cover the why, the what, the how and what if. Just give it a shot. It's very practical. And um, I can guarantee you, you have another result than just covering a few areas. So that's one really practical element, what I wanted to highlight. Something else in listening and really a practical skill, what I a live audience, I want to bring it to you too, because so often we fill in how we listen, what we are taught by our parents, our co-workers, our teachers, just what life or biography told us how to respond. And I think it's great to be aware of the response ability. So your own ability to give your self-owned response without any judgment for any circumstances around. 
So how do you do that? Well, it's a really good exercise just to ask for a space where you can share safely with one another what's going on. So what I did in the workplace, uh, I remember uh, a team member just giving me a message on WhatsApp, what really impacted the whole team. And although I could understand why she um, really responded that way, I didn't agree and I didn't leave it. So I asked for a conversation. So in a way that it's really safe and I come from a space where I can speak with compassion and truth and without being carried away. So I like my own three pillars. It's compassion, wisdom and trust. So in this environment, I was able to say, okay, let's have a conversation and I can share honestly how your decision is impacting me, how it's impacting others um, because she wasn't aware. And then from there, she was able to speak. So the way I frame this is creating space without interruption. It's an exercise what I will share um, also in a written format so you can train yourself. Some areas you can have the talking stick, you know, where the one who's speaking is speaking and no one interrupts. And when the speaking is done, the speaker will say, okay, and this is it. I'm done. And then others are able to respond. But the way we respond has very much subtleties to it. Because if you see in your own response, are you nodding? Are you encouraging? Are you disagreeing? How do you frown or smile when someone is sharing? It's encouraging in the speaking, but it's also influencing how the person is speaking. So I did often an exercise where person one is invited to speak and person B is not responding, is stonewalling, deliberately not to influence speaking from the heart. And I can say it's really hard just to speak with someone who is stonewalling and to be the one who's stonewalling, in my case, myself. And then reflect back when person one has spoken, to reflect back what you honestly have heard. So person one can be checking without interruption again, without explanation, what is received by person B. And that can be something totally different from what you had in mind of sharing because person B was really listening without encouragement for you. It's great to flip and then take out a turn so person B starts to talk and person A is stonewalling. It's 
crucial to see if you also look at the nonviolent communication or um, really getting to all kind of conscious listening to get out of your own judgments to your own framed thinking. Um, it's, it's important to let go of that. And as soon as you really very active, actively participate in a conversation, it's easier to get the boxes of involvement of other areas from you in there too. So listening with clean filters is listening without your own frameworks and your own boxes. It's recognizing the pattern of thinking of others. It's listening with pure curiosity, no judgment, pure curiosity for the other. And only if you know yourself and you can be really curious without your own framework for the others, then you have your real, true listening. And that's listening with others. So I will leave it to this, covering the second ecology, how are you with others? And um, create space to be with Silla Alwardi for covering the third ecology, how are you listening to the world? And I don't know anyone else who can be more advanced, experienced in doing this as Dr. Silla Elwardi. And I'm delighted she was really willing to collaborate on this podcast to be a voice of how do you listen to the world. So who is Dr. Silla Elwardi? Well, um, she's the one who turns vision into action, three times nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for for developing an effective dialogue between nuclear weapons policymakers worldwide and their critics within the Oxford Research Group, founded in 1982. She was um, an advisor to Archbishop Tutu and Sir Richard Branson in setting up the elders. She wrote awesome books that I highly can recommend, like... Um, the business plan for peace, but also pioneering the possible and her latest one, it's the mighty heart, all full of what we do here in the Geneva Peace Week, practical tools to make things happen. And well, if you haven't been uh, one of the 1.4 million people who watch her TED talk about nonviolence, just go there and find it. Enjoy being with Dr. Silla Elworthy. Welcome, Silla. Happy to be here with you, Nienka. So we have been um, working together for a couple of years now in the Business Plan for Peace program, and um, we stayed in touch. And what impressed me most in, in the time we spent together is your global experience in how to listen to what the world is telling us and how you... Uh, interacted and how you worked in peace negotiations globally. And your key thing is listening. That's what I got. Is that right? Absolutely. And I think we're in the midst of a big lesson from the, from the planet, if you like, uh, and that is the pandemic. And I think it's very important that we listen to the messages of the pandemic instead of simply 
resisting it. Um, in my view, uh, nature has tried to give us very strong messages about what we're doing to the planet. And we have not listened. Um, nature has uh, showed us that there is global warming without any question, that the uh, glaciers and the Antarctic and the Arctic ice are melting, uh, that forest fires are raging. And we have not responded. We have not taken the measures necessary to cut our carbon emissions and so forth. Mm -hmm. and so here comes the pandemic, which um, finally uh, affects not only our health, but our pocketbook, our, our, our economies in such a big way that hopefully we have to wake up and listen to what needs to happen to take care of our, our beautiful environment and our beautiful planet. And, and uh, each other. And each other, exactly. The, um, what it's revealed to me, the pandemic, is that we don't have, in my country at any rate, we don't have a currency of care. In other words, those who look after the most fragile and the most vulnerable and those who work in our health service are not rewarded in anything like the same way as those who work in banks or um, work on the stock exchange or even in big companies. So it's time we reevaluated what we are, how we are prepared to, to value and reward people who are using their compassion, their inner resources every day to support others and care for them. Yeah. And how can you relate it to peacemaking? Because, you know, it's, it's rewarding, but it's also having an eye and attention on others. And I think in, in what you do, did in the, the peace negotiation on nuclear disarmament, uh, you, you worked with very different uh, people uh, with different opinions. How, how do you see um, parallels in what's happening now and what you did uh, in your time when you were in the peace negotiations? Well, I was spurred on by my own uh, anxiety and fear over the likelihood of new accidental nuclear war in the early 1980s. And, and I had a young daughter at the time, and I realized that there was this very specific and very real danger. And so I wanted to do something about it. I worked at the United Nations conference on it. Nothing happened there. No agreement was made. So I decided uh, really on an intuition that I should try to identify the people who really did make the decisions and still do make the decisions on nuclear weapons, namely those who designed the warheads, those who um, signed the checks, those who build the platforms, the missiles and the airplanes and so on. And we published a book. I, I set up a research group to do this and published a book which explained for the first time ever, how the whole system worked. And then I thought we, we must try to get these people together because they don't know each other. So we invited, for example, a warhead designer from Los Alamos in the States to meet his counterpart from the then Soviet Union. We took delegations to China at 
their invitation, they came back to London and Oxford at our invitation. But the key was to make an environment where people could relax. So all the meetings happened under the radar. You never heard about them. No press anywhere near. No communiques. Even no official lists of who was there. So people could uh, turn up uh, by invitation at a um, very old manor house near Oxford and walk into a very friendly, unofficial environment, take off their jackets. We put wildflowers by their beds and home-baked cookies to make them feel at home. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and in the meeting room, there were no desks. Nobody had a name tag. We sat in a circle. We invited silence at the beginning of the meetings and in the middle if things got at all heated. And we asked people to, um, to listen, to really deeply listen to one another. Um, I didn't know then, this was 20 years ago, this was much more than 20, this was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, yeah. And I didn't know then what I know now that the more we can listen to another person so carefully, give them our full attention, that they feel, especially if we can repeat back to them, not just what they said, but the feelings behind what they said, um, that is the greatest compliment we can pay to anybody. And they feel very relaxed when they feel fully heard. In I think words. that's the key. I think that's the key. Feeling, feeling hurt. I think, and just, just to pause you a bit, I hear two things. I hear feelings and being hurt. And if I think in, in the real um, United Nations or, or other official, just look at, at Kim Jong-un and, and Donald Trump, um, maybe there's a feeling hurt, but it's, it's talking about feelings is such far away. If, if we look from a distance, um, how do you get them there? You mean, how do you get people into the room? Into listening and to express their feelings in that environment. Well, it, it, it takes a long time, actually. It takes the building of trust and some people, um, we, particularly very senior military men, understood this and were willing to come to several meetings. So they learned a little bit about the skill of doing this. And particularly when it came to listening to Chinese generals in the Chinese army, uh, who are used to making what we would call a rant, you know, selling their point of view, which is just <clears throat> comes out as if by by rote, by learning. And it, that proved really difficult. And I had to um, ask the second head of the China, whole Chinese army, that's four million men and women, uh, I had to ask him if he would be willing, because he was giving this long speech, to pause for a moment and hear a question from somebody on our side of the table. We were on different sides of the table. And he looked infuriated. He went red in the face and started to gesticulate. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've caused an international incident. <laughs> um, but on the second request, he did it. And he actually listened. And then I sat next to him at dinner and through the interpreter, 
I learned that he had fought in four wars. So nearly all his working life, he had been in a war of one sort or another. And all of a sudden, my heart went out to him. And then our whole interaction changed. By, just by the messages he and I were picking up from each other. Yeah, that's true listening, because if you can open your heart and see the person as a person and not as a title, I think that changes a lot. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, was, it was formidable with these very self-confident, very successful, mostly men. Um, it, was, um, it was a big struggle and it took a lot of um, trials and errors and we made a lot of mistakes. But in the end, I do believe that it was the... It was that um, procedure which um, enabled people to stop and listen. Uh, I'll give you one more example, which if it's not too much, um, there was a time when we brought Chinese decision makers to a public meeting in Oxford, along with some of their British counterparts. And I was chairing it. And at one point, the argument became quite heated. And there was a big audience, maybe 150 people in a, in a big seminar room. And um, so at that moment, I said, gentlemen, um, if you don't mind, we're going to pause here and we're going to spend two minutes just in silence recalling what we've heard and what we've understood. And if you don't mind, we'll do that now. And somewhat, That's brave. Yeah. <laughs> And somewhat to my surprise, they did it. And when we resumed, and I let it go for three minutes because it was deepening silence. And when we resumed, there was a like a big <sighs> indraw of breath and out, outpouring of um, a sigh, really. And people had begun this process of, oh, is that what it means? That's the sort of, that's what we're looking for. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I think if we look at the theme of this Geneva Peace Week now, it is having the rebalancing of the re disruption. Uh, you disrupted a pattern. And I think that's, that's key too. just disrupt a pattern by listening. Yes. And, and getting, getting there and, and free your, your agenda because it, it might be something totally different others, others are up to and just, just become to an, a more a neutral place where we can listen to one another. Yes. So I think important. I think, I think what's really important there is the uh, emergence of women into decision-making positions. Um, yeah, because who, how did you do that? Often you must have been the only woman in the room. Very often. And at first it was intimidating. I was told to shut up and sit down um, on a number of occasions um, because I was saying things that were difficult for people to hear and I wasn't very skilled at, at doing saying what I needed to say in a way that people could hear. But what's encouraging now in our, in our present situation is that, as we know, those countries that have, were initially most successful in controlling the pandemic in the early months were all led by women. And uh, what they did was so fantastic. For example, the Prime Minister of Norway said, um, 
right at the beginning, she said, I know children are very scared. They don't know what's happening. So I'm going to have a television program, which is only for children. And I want to listen to what is perplexing and frightening for them and what they need. And that's what she did. Um, and that's mind blowing. I mean, imagine a premier, a prime minister doing that, taking the time to listen to children, really listen. So <clears throat> I do believe that as the, what I would call the yin intelligence comes into balance with the yang in our world, uh, this is um, crucially important. And yin intelligence is available to men just as it is to women. This is not a gender issue. But it means that deep listening, uh, compassion, collaboration, interconnectedness, all these um, qualities that we need to bring into the world now can emerge through yin intelligence. Yeah, and yes, for sure. Yes, and, and, and it, it, um, it's encouraging that this is beginning to happen. And every one of us, I think, needs to do all we can to appreciate and encourage um, those leaders who are demonstrating what we might call yin intelligence. Yeah, yeah. And I also know, um, you, you shared before, if women are involved in the peace negotiations, the outcomes are so different. Is that true? Absolutely. Um, back in 2009, I think, the United Nations did a survey of how many women took part at the peace table. And it was only two and a half percent of those sitting around the peace table were women. And the result was that the peace agreement reached <clears throat> did not last more than five years. And they discovered that when the percentage went up, even to 10% of women involved, the peace agreement lasted 15 years longer. And I asked myself, you know, what's, what is this? What's happening here? And eventually I put it together because I had done a diagram of the cycle of violence uh, long ago. And I realized that with involving women, they bring to the peace table something that the male, the, the warlords uh, don't. The warlords are interested in what they can get in terms of territory, votes, money, position, importance, power. Whereas what the women bring is the concerns of the people they're landed with at the end of the war or during the war, caring for the wounded, caring for the PTSD, burying the dead, looking after the orphans, all that fallout of war, which takes generations to heal. And the women know that unless that healing is done much by listening, then you're just going to have war breaking out again. And yeah. this is fundamental. That yes. Fundamental. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's also what we see in the, the, the women leaders taking the pandemic to another level. They do the same and, and um, just having the attention and the listening from really from society upwards, not only the pressure from, oh, let's, let's, force but also to listen from within and i know you wrote recently uh, a great book about it it's the mighty heart 
and listening from the heart and having the techniques to do the deep listening will really make the change and make the disruption easier uh, after the pandemic and or any other um, uh, uh, really um, a really trending thing of war so it's not only a pandemic but we need to break patterns by listening so can you give a little hint what's in the mighty heart oh i'd be delighted um what it uh, spells out is 10 skills that anybody in this um, present situation of crisis can use to defuse conflict in the family in the workplace, in the community, or even uh, in the nation. Uh, and these are skills not only including listening, uh, they include things like taking a stand on something you believe in, in a way that won't put people's backs immediately up. In other words, that won't provoke resistance. And there are various um, techniques that you can develop, uh, particularly breathing because we all think that we breathe all the time, but we don't realize that when we're nervous and anxious, our breathing gets shallower and shallower. And that means that our, our voice gets more staccato. I know that when I, in the past, when I've been trying to say something that I know will be very difficult for people to hear and is a shock to them, my voice goes up like this and I start to speak very fast and very staccato and it's very unconvincing because it's all in my head. Yeah, and before you know, you're seen as a nagging mom. Exactly. <laughs> and so what I need to do is just take the time to breathe, I mean, literally breathe in for a count of five, pause, breathe out for a count of six, pause, and do the same thing again at least five times when I'm nervous. And then what changes is that I can take a stand literally with my feet planted on the ground, if possible, stand up so that the, the energy is moving between the ground and the infinite. And then I am really in my proper power. In other words, I can speak with a gravitas, which is coming from my belly, not my head. and. Uh, it's always in a tone that is much easier for people to really tune into rather than thinking, I don't agree with that woman or what's the rubbish she's talking about. So <clears throat> I think it's very important to learn these skills. And then the latter part of the book uh, tells you how to negotiate in a, in a family quarrel, how to... Um, bring people together in your community uh, or your workplace, how to build the bridges that of communication, basically, that are needed. And there are, as I say, 10 skills to learn. And very shortly, in fact, dur during Geneva Peace Week, we start a 10-part online course on the, on the book. 
I think it's it's a great tool, and because Geneva Peace Week asks specifically for us who participate and and contribute uh, in the Geneva Peace Week to make things practical, to to really show what we can do to make peace happen and to really rebalance after the disruption. So um, I will make sure for everyone who wants uh, get the link to the Mighty Heart book and and um, perhaps have some some access to the the exercises and I, I know them by now quite well uh, so we make it practical for everyone who's listening to to this and I think it's a wonderful way to wrap up uh, and to give the practical tools to everyone who wants to contribute to peace to what we covered in this podcast listening to self listening to others and listening to the world and to start with a mighty heart I think it's a conclusion <laughs> I salute you because you're a walking, talking, listening embodiment of the skills that we've been sharing together and developing together. So thank you. Yeah. So let's let's broaden it up and make it accessible for everyone. Thank you very much for being with us, Sela. And um, well, That's let nice. the world know how things will continue with your work. It's my pleasure, Nianka. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this installment of the Geneva Peace Week podcast series. Don't forget to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review about something you learned. You can also visit our website to continue the conversation with the makers of this episode. Or join us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Geneva Peace Week. Above all, thank you for being here, and we hope you'll join us again for another episode.